Grace and peace to you from Him who is and who was and who is coming. Our text for our sermon is the first epistle written to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 20 through 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came by a man, the resurrection of the dead also is going to come by a man. For as in Adam they all die, so also in Christ they all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ as the firstfruits, and then Christ's people at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has done away with every other ruler and every other authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Death is the last enemy to be done away with. Certainly he will put all things in subjection under his feet. Now when it says that all things have been put in subjection, obviously that does not include the one who subjected all things to him. But when all things have been subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, in order that God may be all in all. This is the word of our Lord. Jesus Christ is arrested and ultimately the trump charges that are brought up is that he is the king of the Jews. That's the charges that Pilate has nailed above his head on the cross. And so it is that he tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. But during that time, the soldiers have their opportunity to have some really cruel and sadistic fun. Those were different times. They put a mock robe on him and a mock crown that's literally made of thorns. They spit on him. They hit him. They're mean. They're cruel. The world would say, what kind of a king is that? Because unless the king had been utterly defeated, his forces would be there to fight back. Isn't that what we would like to see as they're smacking him? Jesus go, oh yeah, wham! And just use a force to blow them back 20 feet. And let's admit it, today our kids go to school and they're mocked in school for their faith. Today we turn on a media that mocks us for our faith. How is Christ ruling as king in all of this? Wouldn't it be nice if we got to see some revenge in these sorts of things? Wouldn't it be nice if he didn't allow himself to be mocked and ridiculed? So today we'll ask the question, how does Christ rule as king? And our text will answer that question. Corinthians had a problem. People were saying there's no resurrection. The Apostle Paul points out, if there's no resurrection, then Christ didn't rise. If Christ didn't rise, then our faith's in vain. And it's there that he says, yet Christ has now been raised from the dead, a first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. A lot is said there. Christ has been raised from the dead. God the Father approved of everything Christ did, for he raised him, but Jesus also raised himself. And Paul says he's a first fruit. Since we're not Jews living before the time of Christ, we might forget the significance of that word. If you lived in Old Testament Israel, lots of times when you planted your crops, and you can see this in your own garden, sometimes you have a couple of plants that are right before all the rest of the garden or the crop. That was the first fruits. That was to go to God. If you planted a tree for four years, you weren't supposed to pick any fruit off it. And then the first year after that four years, that fruit went to the Lord as the first fruits. And then, 
Then the harvest came. That's important for us to understand because some Christians shoehorn in some things into this verse and they see a harvest and a third harvest and all that stuff. No, Christ is the first fruits and then the rest of us will be risen. Christians will rise to have a glorified body. And notice the wording Paul uses, those who have fallen asleep. This is not a euphemism in which Paul is trying to soften the blow of death. He's talking to believers. If you're an unbeliever, you're like a zombie. You're the walking dead because you're not complete. You don't have that new man that God intended for you to have. But if you're a believer, death's a totally different thing. A woman who's nine months pregnant and her due date's coming up does not look forward to the labor part of that child. She looks forward to holding the child afterwards. Paul uses the word falling asleep to describe what happens to your body because when you have the new man, when you die, your soul goes to heaven. The biblical definition of death is when the soul is separated from the body. So you are alive in conscience before God's throne. Your body it decays in the grave. And that's what Paul is talking about, falling asleep. But there's a point here already to be made. Christ has already risen and you're already alive in Christ. You already know he's your savior. You're alive in him now. And if you die before Christ comes, your body will sleep, but you will be before the throne of God because you have that new man. That new man came to exist because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit sent someone in your life, if not many someones in your life, to share the good news that God had become a man, did all the work for your salvation, took your punishment for sin, and rose victorious of it as God, God giving you a receipt proof. There it is. I am going to raise you and give you a glorified body. Here's your receipt. So you are alive because Christ rules in your heart. The apostle continues in verse 21, For since death is through a man, also resurrection from the dead is through a man. And then he continues, For just as in the sphere of this Adam everyone dies, so also in the sphere of this Christ everyone will be made alive. God did not create human beings to die. Adam and Eve were holy. They had perfect harmony with God. They bought into the devil's lie. You often hear me say in sermons, we've got to pay attention to the prepositions in the Hebrew and in the Greek language and hear that preposition. We only get death through Adam. That's it. It's Adam. If Adam and Eve had not fallen into sin, you and I would not have to face death. Period. End of discussion. But they did. They became spiritually dead immediately. It would be hundreds of years before Adam and Eve physically died. But they were the crown of creation. It was all meant for them. It was all God's gift to them. And yet they bought into the lie that God was their enemy, that he was withholding something from them. They spiritually died. God came and promised them the Savior, as recorded in Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head, and he gave them the faith to cling to that promise, and they got the new man. But it's only in Christ Jesus that we rise again. It's only in Christ Jesus that we get the forgiveness of sins. It's only in Christ Jesus that you will get your glorified body. And so you are alive now. It says only in Christ, in the sphere of this Christ, everyone will be made alive. Your glorified body, your body will be brought back and you will be given that glorified body. But you are alive now. Alive in Christ because you have that new man. 
And that new man is breathing in a spiritual way. You exhale the confession of your sins. You inhale hearing God and Christ taking on human flesh has paid for your sins and his blood has removed them. And he's given you the trust in them. So you are already alive in Christ now. This is Christ's rule in your heart. This is Christ's rule in the invisible church of which you are a member because you have that new man. Your heart is Christ's throne. When Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, he was talking about something that could not be seen. He wasn't talking about a political kingdom. He was talking about you, that your heart is his throne and my heart is his throne and all of our hearts are his throne and that's the invisible church and we call that his kingdom of grace. So while it's behind the scenes and it's hidden, we can't see the invisible church until we gather around the word of God. How does Christ rule? For now, he's ruling in his kingdom of grace. That's where he rules to make sure you hear his word and that the Holy Spirit enters your heart so that you believe his word, that you are alive in his word, and he rules to keep you in his word. Behind the scenes, invisible. But he is ruling for now in his kingdom of grace. And he continues, yet each in its own order. The first fruit is Christ, next those belonging to Christ, and then the end when Christ hands over his kingdom to his God and Father when he has destroyed every rule, every authority, and every power. For you see, it's necessary for Christ to keep on ruling until the time when he's put all of his enemies under his feet. Now here's where I say, Christ was the first fruits, and then it's not like a whole bunch of harvesting. Last day's the harvest, and that last day, that is it. That's when he then turns around and hands the whole kingdom over. But in the meantime, as we see, he is actually ruling hidden behind his scientific laws, the laws of nature, and yes, sometimes he does miracles too. He's also ruling over governments. We've covered this in the last couple of weeks as we looked at Judgment Day and Saints Triumphant. We've seen in all the Old Testament, for example, where God was ruling for the Egyptians that the Israelites would go down and grow into a nation. But then when they enslaved the Israelites, God ruled over those Egyptians and disciplined them. Later, when the northern kingdom and southern kingdom of Israel kept turning their backs, God sent the Assyrians. He allowed the Assyrians to come and be his disciplining rod. They took out the northern kingdom. They made it to the gates of Jerusalem, but were unable to enter. That was a warning for the people of Jerusalem. Then he disciplines the Assyrians with the Babylonians. The Babylonians are also God's discipline for the people in Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah, the region of Judah, because they didn't take the warning. They kept turning away from God. But then God sent the Persians to punish the Babylonians. Then God sent Alexander the Great and the Greeks to punish the Persians. Then God sent the Romans. I can go on and on. Christ is ruling behind the scenes and he's in control of governments. It's his kingdom of power. And it's why right now when you turn on the news, there's a lot of hype. Who is going to be our next president? Did one or the other steal the election? And oh, that Senate seat. If who's going to get that one Senate seat that tips the balance of power? And I don't want to sell short your civic responsibilities. But as a Christian, you know, it doesn't matter in this aspect. Jesus is ruling in his kingdom of power. He's hidden, but he's behind the scenes. 
He's going to use the government and it will go no further than the plans he has to use it. We call this his kingdom of power. When things are placed under your feet, that's for crushing bugs and stuff. He's ruling right now in his kingdom of power. And we've seen through the weeks, last few weeks, how when governments persecute the Christians like the Romans did, God turned around and used that, that Christianity exploded in growth. And so in his kingdom of power, we can't always see his hand unless we have faith. But he is the throne behind all thrones ruling. So how does Christ rule as king? Right now he rules in his kingdom of grace. And for now he rules in his kingdom of power. Primarily in that kingdom of power ruling through governments to protect those in the invisible church until the time he has decided to call them to heaven or until the time when he returns, whichever comes first for us. So let's go back to verse 23 again where we're told, yet each in its own orders, the first fruit is Christ, next those belonging to Christ, then the end. When Christ hands over his kingdom to his God and Father, when he has destroyed every rule, every authority, and every power, for it is necessary for Christ to keep on ruling until the time when he has put all of his enemies under his feet. As I've said in previous sermons, can you name one government that persecuted Christians that outlived Christianity? Not a one. That's because Christ is ruling in his kingdom of power, but he's not just ruling to protect the church now. This all culminates when he squashes all authorities like a bug. He's going to take the devil. He's already chained him because of that cross. He's going to be cast in hell forever. Those who did not trust in God, those who rejected the Lord, they will be cast in hell forever. And it's really according to his humanity. Because Jesus is true God who became true man. And we have to be careful how we understand that. It's not true God and true man kind of glued together. They are constantly in inseparable communication with each other. It's not like God put his Godhood and his humanity into a blender and we came up with something new. According to his humanity, because as God, he's always had this authority, but he hands it all over to God the Father. So we're seeing the persons of the Trinity, but no person of the Trinity works to the exclusion or overrides the other. So Paul here is trying to avoid in his wording what will in Christian history become known as subordinationism, that Jesus, according to his deity and humanity, is subordinate to the Father. It's according to his humanity, because he's true God equally with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So in verse 26 then, talking about the destruction of the enemies, unbelievers cast forever in hell, they're never going to get out. They'll they'll be raised to be given their bodies, but they're not glorified. They're going right back to hell. The devil going to hell. But he says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. When God gives you that glorified body, when God raises your body, death is done. Your proof, again, is Jesus' resurrection. It's Christ off the cross. It's the empty tomb. How I look forward to death being destroyed. If Adam and Eve hadn't fallen into sin, we would not know death. And I know you're like me. You've had plenty of brothers and sisters in Christ who have preceded you in heaven, and you miss them. There's a a hole left in our hearts. We know we're going to have a family reunion, but let's admit it. It's no fun having them absent. And I have to admit to you, there's an ache in my heart for friends and family whom I've tried to share the word of God with, but I suspect they died without the Holy Spirit in their hearts. 
How miserable that is. Death seems to reign in this life. We often joke there's two guarantees in life, death and taxes, and you can't escape either one. Well, you get to escape death on Judgment Day because Christ is destroying it. In fact, at this point in time, he's going to confirm you in your holiness so you will never, ever be able to sin ever again, and he's going to give you that glorified body. You'll never have to suffer the effects of sin ever again in your life. So everything is crushed under his feet. Then we're told in verse 27, for he has placed all things under his control, under his feet. Yet when he says all things have been placed under his control, it's clear that this excludes the one who places all things under his control. Notice he doesn't just say the father. Jesus placed things under his control before he took on human flesh according to his deity, the Holy Spirit, the father. They all did this. And then he says, now when all those things are placed under his control, then even the son himself will be placed under the control of he who placed all things under his control so that God may continue being all things in every respect. Notice it doesn't say the father exclusively. This is father, son and Holy Spirit. So we're talking about this according to Jesus's humanity. But there's a beautiful thing there saying so that God may continue being all things in every respect. And I think biblically one of the neatest pictures of what Paul is saying is spelled out by John in the book of Revelation. When he refers to the invisible church as the new Jerusalem, on that day when Christ returns, she is made visible. And the glory of God, which is her glory, shines through. And we're told there won't be a sun because God will be their light. You and I now are connected to Christ with our new man. We will have such an intimate relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that he will be all in all things for us. And we will know true peace, true joy, true grace. So right now, Jesus is ruling in his kingdom of grace, which is your heart, which is why you have faith, and he's ruling in his kingdom of power to keep his throne in your heart. But on the last day, it all culminates in his kingdom of glory, where the invisible church is seen, where your new man shines out glorious, where you get the glorified body and the new heavens and the new earth. In his kingdom of power, the devil and all of his enemies are thrown away so that all that exists is his kingdom of glory, where we can see truly all of his reign, both in grace and power for all eternity, where we will be kept safe in a way in which we will always be grateful and rejoice because God is all things in respect to everything for us. Amen. Now, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Amen. We confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. 
To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. You are worthy, O Christ, our King, to receive honor and glory and praise, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Alleluia, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. You are worthy, O Christ, our King, to receive honor and glory and praise, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased us from God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have called us into your kingdom and have made us priests to serve you, our God and Father. Help us live as royal priests. We give thanks to you, O Christ, our Shepherd King, because you have searched for us and found us. Lead us to the green pastures and quiet waters of your saving love so that we may enjoy peace and comfort for our souls. Heal our hearts when they are broken with sin and guilt. Strengthen us when we are weak. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Come with your mighty power to break and defeat every evil plan and purpose of the devil, of the ungodly influences and ideas of the world, and of our own sinful nature. Use your power to calm the unrest among the nations and peoples so that your kingdom may spread and grow. Strengthen our confidence in knowing that your kingdom will never be destroyed. O Christ, our King, you have supremacy over all. You will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. You have destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Reign in our hearts that we may serve you more faithfully and speak more boldly to others of your saving love. Praise be to the Lord God, who alone does marvelous deeds. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. We ask you, O Lord, to remember our brothers and sisters to whom trials and troubles have come. Let the knowledge that you rule as king empower us to share with others the glory of your rule now and in all eternity. We ask you to rule in your kingdom of power to keep the COVID virus from spreading in our congregation and bless the vaccines that we may return to our normal gathering together with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords. The Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Go in peace, live in harmony with one another and serve the Lord with gladness. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.